here. Welcome to the Good Share Podcast with Ryan and Ice. I'm Ryan. And I'm Ice. All, All right. right. <laughs> I'm fired up today. Oh my gosh, dude. So uh, anyway, we were just talking like about like your weight loss. Not quite mine, but I had kind of a crappy uh, day yesterday with calories. Well, let's let's remind the viewers if if they have forgotten or if you're j- if you're just tuning in, Ryan and I brand new. We just did we just did like a four part series on health and wellness and you know things like that, losing weight, whatever. And so I'm up a little bit from where I want to be, and Ryan is, is he's he's a little higher than he wants to be. So we're we're trying to lose by like 15 pounds by like June first. Yep. So uh, we've just been on that journey. So our episodes are going to start to deviate away from that topic. But at the beginning of each one, we thought we'd still have a nice little check in, see where our weight is, how we're feeling, things like that. So yeah. anyway, yeah, you were going to tell me yesterday was kind of a, a bad day calorically for you. Yeah, it kind of <clears> got <throat> away from me. So this, the, in the morning, it started out fine. Yeah. Like I had my regular uh, whey protein and probiotic, which, by the way, great yeah. stuff and the taste it really is it's pretty good it's like a it tastes uh it's supposed to be chocolate but it tastes like chocolate malt is this the um, protein that you got on amazon or whatever okay it is um it's muscle milk <clears throat> oh that's but all I it get, is okay that's all it is but it's, <clears throat> it's a special way only gotcha. protein uh muscle milk with added probiotic okay <clears throat> so you get 27 grams for 130 calories yeah, 27 grams of protein yeah, sorry that's great gr- that's so great. it's a it's a good ratio so uh yesterday i started out with two of those with uh the anticipation of at least getting a ride or something in yeah. yesterday yeah um but i didn't really plan my day very well because i forgot part of it i forgot that i had to run andrea uh, up north to a doctor's oh, right, appointment. Right. <clears throat> so <clears throat> that happened. So there's three hours, bang, yeah. because it's an hour and a half up, hour and a half back, uh, not including the hour wait, right. um, which I did go for a little walk. Should have taken your jump rope with you. <laughs> just out there in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, just out in the parking lot, jumper rope. So uh, anyway, so that so that's what happened. Okay. And then, um, well, but so far you haven't had anything terrible. Just no, and I had oatmeal. I had oatmeal okay. with it in the morning. So, so some uh, good, like, good, like, good carbs. Yeah, and okay. then a double dip of which a double dip would be two tablespoons of strawberry jam in my oatmeal, which yeah. is freaking delicious. But you know what? Homemade strawberry jam. Yeah, calorie thirty calories per tablespoon. That's not that bad. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, when you messaged me the other day about putting peanut butter and stuff in your oatmeal, I've, I tried to message you back several times, but my phone kept jacking up every time I would oh, hold the voice message wondering. thing. And then it would like, and I was like, okay, I'm over this. And I was trying to drive and whatever. Um, <laughs> I've been putting peanut butter in my oatmeal off and on for like years. I don't know why you didn't tell me that. I'm sorry. Well, I guess A, I didn't think about it, but maybe the reason I didn't think about it is a lot of people think it's weird. Like when I, it's delicious, dude. I'll do like I'll do, you know, a half cup of oats, yeah, and then I'll do a half cup of frozen blueberries. Now, do you do steel cut or <clears throat> regular? Um, it's like the, I mean, it's Kroger brand. They come in like the tall cardboard canister. It's the oh. quick, the quick one yep. minute oats that yep. you can just yep. microwave. Yep. So I just mm-hmm. then I do, I do a half cup of frozen blueberries, then a cup of water, microwave that for like a minute forty. Pull okay. it out. I'll do a tablespoon, sometimes two tablespoons of brown sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's usually all I do. But every now and then I'll do like <sighs> like a tablespoon, sometimes two, of peanut butter and just mix it in. Boy. <laughs> Dude. It's it so good. It's real good. But yeah. But I've, so, I've actually been trying to cut out oatmeal or cut really? back to like just two days a week. Yeah. I. That's one thing that helps keep my calories low for the rest of the day and i've i have realized that man if i just have a banana and then like a double scoop of protein mm-hmm. that banana is enough carbs to fuel me for whatever else i've got going on and it's enough See, to, to replenish the carbs that i maybe burned running uh, tomorrow's I I tomorrow's going to be the test because i'm going to try and just do a banana and a double shot of protein before i go work out at Damon's and I used to do like 
big old, I would like go run in the mornings and I would come home and do like oatmeal. Like I just said, and then like, you know, 20, uh, 20 tablespoons of egg whites and, and like a double mm-hmm. thing approach. Like I would have a huge breakfast, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't always feel great because it like, that stuff just sits there. It does. It does. If you're you not know, working it off, like uh, any, and even even the the you have to time it right because it'll sit there, and then eventually you start to feel okay, and then I feel like okay, well now I can do some of this intense conditioning yeah. or lifting. But if it's just like a brick right. in my stomach, it feels terrible. So right. I'm gonna see if a banana is enough to fuel me for like the type of intense workouts I do with him. So so back back yeah, to yeah, where yeah. where I was going here uh, yesterday. So that happened, and then. Um, uh, got held up at the doctor's office, got back home, or actually had to pick up the kids, kids with grandma. Yeah. Grandma decided to make homemade chili. Mm. And you got to eat, you know, because... Bro, chili's hard to say no to. Well, it's hard to say no to, but you don't want to you don't want to hurt your grandma's feelings. Well, so, of course not. <clears throat> now, I was real careful, and I, I only had a cup of it. Yeah. So, uh, according to what I could find, it looked like it was only going to cost me, like... 180 calories. I mean, yeah, chili's not. Was it beef? It had some beef in it, but not a lot of beans. Beans. Okay. I mean, that's there. I mean, I don't think there's anything really inherently bad in chili. So, unless you're just going to have like bowl after bowl after bowl, like, well, I think the the crime is a peanut butter sandwich with it. Oh, no. Even that. I didn't have, I didn't have that. Okay. I didn't have any bread with it. Okay. I didn't have any crackers with it. Just some chili. Just chili, okay. and she made fr- homemade French fries, and I had four fries. I counted those. Okay, um, but it wasn't a lot. Well, this doesn't sound terrible so, so far. Okay, 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 yeah. <laughs> then my brother invited us all over to his place, and he made like uh, uh, he fried up chicken, peppers, and um, a chipotle esque type thing. Okay, right? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> dude, I, I, it was so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, so, so, so f- I went, I wound up at the end of the day yesterday because I counted every single thing I put in my pie hole. <laughs> I wound up at the end of the day, my food intake was 2,010 calories. Oh, dude, that's not okay. That's you. You had me believing. Oh man, dude, I messed up. Oh, so many. What three thousand? I thought you were going to be like over maintenance. You're still under maintenance by two hundred calories. I'm under. I just. I'm just a little bit like. I dude should no. That's just one day, and that's like. I wouldn't have even been mad if you'd have been like. Oh, and I had Oreo truffles. (laughs) Well, still, like. Even if you, even if you're like, I had a really bad calorically day, and I ate like twenty eight hundred calories. Uh huh. It's just one day. You didn't go crazy and have like five thousand calories, and also nothing except for the Oreo truffle. Like nothing you oh, said you God. ate was like terrible food. It wasn't like I had like nine pieces of cheesecake. It's like no, you were still eating like food that was like quality ingredients. That's like veg veggies and meat and like that all sounds fine. And if you're if you're legit only. If you're still like under maintenance by 200 calories, dude, you're gonna be fine. Like that's just one day. Yeah, yeah. And I, right, right, right. I just, you know, you know the type of guy I am. It's I do. Yeah, but see, all or nothing. I know, but you and, can't, you can't be. Like, yeah, because you're like telling me, yeah, man, uh, yeah, I'm, I had a good day today. I'm, I'm like three, I'm 300 calories under. And in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, you're like 1900 calories. You're like, no, no, I'm like 300 calories under 1800. And I have to be like, Ryan, no, <laughs> like don't, you can't just eat like 1500 calories. I mean, you can, but then that's just going to lead to like, okay, you do that for five days. And then right. you're just going to be like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. And I'm and you have like three days of 3,500 calories. Well, then everything you just did was terrible. But if you would have given yourself those 300 calories on the other days and actually gotten to like 1,800, yeah, you wouldn't have felt so hangry and right. and gone crazy, you know? Right. So true. True. You can't. Yeah. You can't just be like all or nothing all the time. It like 
I mean, you can in some things in your life, but don't do that with this because that's a recipe for disaster. Trust me. Trust me. I've been there. I did it. Because I'm thinking, I, I, when you were like, man, I had such a bad day yesterday. Like, well, did, so you didn't get to work out, but, <laughs> yeah, but you only, that's, the, th- that's but, the other but thing. But you only ate, you, you still ate under maintenance. True. So, true. And, and, and like, that's what I kept kind of going back to in my, my mind. It's fine. It's like, I'm under maintenance, so I'm still at a deficit. Yeah. I didn't get to do as much but work as I wanted to do. Did you work out do. Monday? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good workout Monday. So. So one day that, I mean, dude, I just went, I mean, I understand how you're feeling because I, well, son, I took Sunday off, you know, and then sure, Monday dude. I hit it and then Tuesday happened yesterday happened. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I just had a day. I just had a day. Yeah. Where but then you, you hit it hard again this morning. I did. It's, and how's your eating been today? Good. See, like I'm, I'm, it's fine. Man, my mornings, I've got my mornings pretty much down. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about me. <clears throat> my lack of smell and taste really assist me in this because I can literally eat oatmeal and with a little bit of jam in it for weeks and be completely fine with that. Yeah. That, you know, so that was one thing I wish we would have talked about on the podcast was I wish I would have mentioned like, yeah, you will definitely go for a few months where you're going to eat the same things all the time and it will be hard not to get bored. But like, if you want to see results, like, I'm not saying you should do that for the rest of your life, but like, it is a good way, I think, physically to condition your body, but also mentally, because then it becomes like, I'm not eating food because like, oh man, this tastes so good. Or I really want this. It's like, mm-hmm. you're eating food for the purpose of the goals you're trying to accomplish, which is, right. that's really, I hate it. It's so cliche, but that whole phrase of like, you know, eat to live, don't live to eat. Right. Yeah, that's such a cheesy way. But it's like, it's so true. Like, that is the whole purpose of us eating is to help our bodies function the best they can. Not, it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm just going to eat whatever tastes good all the time. That's a, that's a slippery slope, my friend. Like, that's how you get to be 320 pounds. Yeah. You know, because you just... You eat, you eat whatever your taste buds dictate and not like what your body actually needs. I'm not saying you, you, what, I'm not though, saying you can't have some of that stuff every now and then. <clears throat> All right. All right. <laughs> so today's podcast, we're finally into it. Um, <laughs> music Plateau. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I think, you know what I think? I was thinking about this a little bit more. I think that this applies across everything, you know, to oh, a yeah. degree. But what's interesting about a musician or an artist. Uh, yeah, I think you could call it like a creative plateau. Creative plateau. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> is that it is um, unlike a trade where you feel like you may have kind of reach the end of your skill set uh there's usually something that happens in the trade that changes that that keeps it fresh yeah you feel me dirty i I feel you clean (laughs) so but with the creativity plateau you're self-reliant it's all on you yeah it's very true yeah yeah and and i mean I also don't feel like you ever you ever really reach at least good musicians don't you don't ever reach like uh there's no finish line. It's not like a skill that you yeah. learn and that skill hasn't changed for for 50 or 100 years and you can you literally do it the best of anybody like a music or any kind of creative art it's always changing and evolving. So you can always learn something new, but also art is so subjective. Like, yes, the thing this person does might be great, but that doesn't mean I like it. And the thing this person does, you might not even dig at all, but I might think they're like, Oh man, they're the greatest ever, you know? Like, yes. So I, there's, I don't think there's ever an end. 
Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be the drummer. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be totally satisfied with the drummer that I am. No matter, no matter how good I get or whatever, I'm never going to feel like, oh, I've arrived and I can't, I can't get any better than I am right now. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, even talking to like the A-listers and guys that I've worked with, and I'm sure some of the people that you have, uh, it's, they, I, I've never talked to them about that particular thing, but from what they've said, you can kind of tell that they don't think that they're um, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, like, yeah, the, like the, masters. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> they know they're good. The really great players are always striving to be better. And the ones that, that <clears throat> there's like really great players, but then there are mm-hmm. the players who like to think that they're great. And they always, it's always the people that are like, they, they always act like they've got all the answers and it's like, no, really great players don't have all the answers. Like they know what they're good at, but they also know that they have weaknesses that they are trying to improve. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, like, like to me, it always kills me if I, you know, like I read that book on Jeff Beccaro and he hated he hated the way he played shuffles, but he played one of the most famous, best feeling shuffles of all time on Rosanna. But he yeah. couldn't stand to listen to himself play shuffles. And he always, he would, he always talked about how he thought his time sucked. And it's like, dude, he, he cut a lot of records that aren't to a click. And I'm not saying his time is perfect, but like uh-huh, right. his time element combined with his feel, like, you never listen to what a record he's on and be like, this is, this is all over the place. Like, That's no. all over the place. This guy's time like, is horrible. You know, or, or I've even heard like guys like Chris McHugh or Greg mm-hmm. Morrow or you know Shannon or any of those guys, and they always talk about like, oh, I wish my time was better. I wish my feel was better. I wish I could lay my back right. beat further back. And it's like, Shannon's like, I wish I was like a drummer, like a drummer, drummer. <laughs> yeah, like that's all. Oh, that's my favorite. Is that Shannon like? And I understand what he means, but he he doesn't like think of himself as like a drummer. It's like his instrument of choice, but he he just doesn't feel like he's a. And I'm like, dude, you're one of my favorites. And that's like, another thing. Like Ed, Eddie Bears, he oh come to Nashville uh, to be a piano, yeah, you know, yeah, piano player, great piano player, yeah, yeah. And and, and then and he then got he, in that bad motorcycle accident. And it screwed up his, I think his left hand. I think it's less. Yeah, because he, that's why he plays open handed because the, yeah, he has like because pins he can't in take his the, or something. He can't take the yeah. impact with the snare yeah. hands. Well, he was playing he, drums before that accident. Yeah, yeah, but, but it but, wasn't his, it wasn't right, his right. And you primary know, instrument. Like, I, I, it's funny that you mentioned because the other thing I was going to talk about is like, it's not necessarily always trying to. Like the quest to, to be better might not always be a quantifiable thing of like, well, this guy plays faster than this guy, or this guy's time is more precise to me. It should be like finding more things that inspire you that help shape your own voice. And Eddie bears is a perfect example. Cause like I technically I don't, he's probably not like a great drummer. Like he doesn't have a ton of chops or whatever. He is proficient enough to do the kind of work he gets called for. But like yeah. when you hear a track with Eddie on it, there's no doubt that it's him playing drums. Like he has a thing yep. and a way he sounds. And I think you can say that about any of the guys in any of the cities, you know, any of the great, like you could say that about any of the great jazz drummers or any of the great LA guys, or like, you know, like in the sixties, like Hal Blaine, you know, when it's freaking Hal Blaine on a track playing drums, like he, it, yeah. you can just tell. The same way you can tell that it's Picaro or Steve Gadd. So you know any of those guys. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm naming all these drummers, but that's that's where my mind goes. Well, but, the, yeah, right. Talking about Eddie Bears. So yeah, um, my very first, or maybe maybe it was my second session with Eddie, and then I videoed that thing and sent it to you. Yeah, and me, me and Eddie talking Which, to you. You guys were at the Fun House, right? Yeah, we yeah. were at the Fun House. That's when and, I was still in Philly. Yeah. 
I was like, hey, Eddie. He's like, yeah, buddy. I was like, hey, you mind doing a video with me? And we sent it to my buddy. He's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, anyways, super, super freaking nice guy. And yeah. uh, when, I, of course, Eddie played on every 90s country music hit. Every yeah. number one, it was pretty much Eddie Bears. <clears throat> And when I worked my second session with Eddie, I was paying close attention to Eddie uh, because I, I was fascinated because his his time was impeccable. Like, he, he was a freight train, man. I yeah. mean, when he hit when he was going to hit the snare, he had made his mind up four hours ago when he was going to hit that drum. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It was like that type of thing. But. The thing you were talking about, where you hear Eddie play, you know it's Eddie Bears. And that time in the studio when I was watching him play, I noticed something. And I told you this. And uh, <clears throat> I was like, there's a weird thing he gets when he plays across his toms and his cymbals. And I couldn't put my finger on it until I watched him. And because he smashed his wrist, and he's got these pens and stuff yeah. in his wrist, he can only really <clears throat> hold the stick right. overhanded, right? right? So he holds it like this yeah. ev on everything. Yeah. And he can't really do that. Yeah, his right? his, his left hand is a little like club-footed or whatever. Like yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's very stiff. Yeah. So there's not a lot of articulation with the stick movement. So he has to rely heavily on his elbow and shoulder. Right. And, and you know this, I don't, but I, it's, it's a definitely a different sound when you come across a symbol. Yeah. I knew that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain angle being hit like that because the stick doesn't have near the amount of give. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's more like a, I don't want to say it and make it like offensive, but it's more like a clang. It's like a, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I noticed that. And then the Tom sound is v strikingly different. Yes. Because of the attack. Oh, oops. Yeah. Because of the attack of the stick angle at the head of the drum. Right. Yeah, dude. Like all that, all of that contributes to why he sounds and feels the way he does. Yeah. And why I think he's got one of the strongest uh, train beats because of that one thing. What's interesting about that is, you know, he has his pins in his wrist, so he plays open handed. So his left hand isn't hitting the snare drum because it can't take the impact. But when he yeah. plays a train beat. It's the left hand that's playing the accents, like on the, the two and four, like the back. Yeah. Which is huh. weird, because to me, well, that I, is weird. I guess I guess that makes sense though, <laughs> because if I think about how I play a train beat, you know, normally if I'm playing cross-handed or whatever, my right hand would be on the hi hat, my left hand's playing snare drum. Yeah. They're playing the back beat, but when I play a train beat, I play right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. So the right hand is the hand that it's not my normal backbeat hand. It's this hand that would play the backbeats. It's so he's playing it opposite, but like, just like he would because he's playing open. And yeah. If he were playing a left-handed kit, he's playing exactly right. the way. Yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> that what, is the, so I think weird. the other thing that's impressive about him, like, you know, you can say, Oh, he's not technically that great or whatever. He's just a feel guy or whatever. Maybe that's true. But like he, he taught himself to play like that. Like as an adult, it wasn't like he learned to play open handed. He had to like relearn right. all his yep. instinctual things. Right. You know, if you played right hand lead for so long and then now all of a sudden, like your left hand is, is the timekeeping limb. Mm -hmm. Dude, that, that changes how like fills come out or how you get started into fills. Like, and he just, he just did it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'll say about him, not that this matters, but it does, is 
every time I played the Opry and he's been the guy, like the house guy, man, mm-hmm. I met him one time. And ever since then, he remembers my name and who I'm yep. playing with. And he asked me how I'm doing. Dude, the like, same thing with me. Like, I didn't work like, with him a whole lot. Yeah. But yeah. And you can't he say that about faces, everybody names. in this town. But he's like, no. he'll see you from across, you know, backstage and come over and be like, hey, Matt, like, how are you doing? You know, you here with David and you doing all right? You guys busy this year? And like, and it's like, dude, you're Eddie Bayers. Like, I'm literally nobody. Why, <laughs> why are you talking to me? But he, he cares, you know, like he, he's Eddie Bears. he wants to, I think people were like that with him when he was a youngster and he's one he of the guys that, that likes to keep that, that lineage of like, Hey, we're all here helping each other out. Yeah. And I, this doesn't need to be an Eddie Bears love fest, but like, but I, I don't, you know he, doesn't, he doesn't always get of... his props. I don't think he always gets his due in this no. town. No, no, but that's really, that's majority with a lot of those guys that play a lot and they're really good and they're popular is because they have good attitudes. I mean, yeah. we've talked about that before. I mean, freaking lit literally. I, I, I I've asked, I not asked this, but I've said this to a couple other guys and they agree. I'm like, 40% is your skill. I mean, I believe 60% of the rest of the rest of it with it is just your attitude and your hang. Absolutely. Now there's a couple guys in Nashville that are absolute asses to deal with, but they are they're phenomenal. they're so good that they they're get, so good yeah. they just deal with them right yeah, but they don't like it. I've been on yeah. sessions where they're like have to call this particular fiddle player that no one wants to work with because he's such a dickhead. I don't know who you're talking about, but it's <laughs> funny. You don't have to tell me. It's fine. No, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be nice. But I'm thinking of a few drummers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, honestly, they, the one gets called a lot and I don't even think he's really that good. And his attitude sucks. What What do I know? I'm, you know, right. I'm not in that at that level. So. So uh, in this session, it was like a limited pressing session. So it was just below master. It wasn't like a huge big deal, but they, this producer one of Kenny Chesney's producers, we're just going to say that, okay. had a fiddle player scheduled. He wound up like getting sick or something happened and he couldn't make it. Yeah. But they really need the overdub done that day. And the engineer made the suggestion to call this guy. And he's like, is there anybody else we could call? <laughs> he's like, I don't know of anybody else that we can call that would be available to come over today. Um, but we do know that he'll come in and knock it out. He's like, yeah, I mean, he'll play exactly the right stuff, but he's such a dickhead. Yeah. And it was like, wow, I wonder who, <clears throat> and they said the name and I was like, I've heard, I've heard of this dude. I've yeah. heard of that. I've heard he's really good. And I'll, he did not let me let anybody down. He came in and he was a complete douchebag and he insisted on using his pair of microphones. I mean, it was oh, like that, wow. right? Yeah. And we're talking about being in a multi-million dollar studio with a f- pretty phenomenal right. mic locker. Yeah. Um, and he brought his his. Not to say that his were sh- shit because yeah, they weren't. Right. They were really great microphones. But it's like he's now telling the engineer what his he's you know yeah his job and and he's gonna play the fiddle. He didn't even want to listen down to the song. <laughs> He's like, I don't have time for it. And so the producer insisted that he listened at least to the intro. So he listened to the intro and he's like, okay, let's go, let's go. And one take through, the dude played exactly what needed to be played flawlessly. And then he knocked out the next two. And he was in there and out of there in 28 minutes. But Which he, everyone was happy about because nobody, everybody nobody was tickled that he it. left. Like that's the thing. Like yeah. he was like, the producer was like, "Well, we got what we needed." Yeah. Damn, he's good. I'm glad he's gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I I know we kind of got like I yeah. thought we might. Well, we, we can that, come back to it. Like a creative. I mean, I have some ideas about what I do to pull myself out of. Well, what like I was that. thinking is what we could talk about is we could just, for example's sake, is talk about entry level and then how that kind of moves along, right? Sure. That's sort of how we got started on this. And yeah. I thought, hey, yeah. this is a good idea. So when you first start playing an instrument, 
um, it's never ending seemingly with the amount of stuff you start learning and taking in and, right. and then applying right. now applying it correctly is a whole nother deal, but you're, 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 you're constantly learning and it's just yeah. the, 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 on the graph, it's just yeah, almost you're, straight up. You started at a base of zero knowledge. So yeah. Then all of a sudden I would say at that point you're looking probably maybe two to three years, right? You get two to three years in under you. Yeah. And you then you start kind of honing in how to apply these particular things that you've learned. And then all of a sudden you run for about a year of I don't feel like I'm improving. I'm just regurgitating the same stuff. Yeah. Right. And I, then this is still very young. Sure. Right? Still very sure. young. And then something comes along. So at that point, that first plateau, it doesn't take much. It doesn't seem like it seems like the tipping points very, very. Yeah. Uh, the tolerance is very tight. So when that tipping point happened, do you remember what that was for you? Do you like in a sound bite? Do you remember? Like getting over my first plateau? Yeah, what it was that was the tipping point that pushed you to the next thing? I mean, <clears throat> I, I in a word, yes, but uh, the answer is more complicated than that, maybe. Like, because I, okay, I, 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 let's see, I started playing in sixth grade. I don't think I hit my first major plateau till probably like high school. Okay, so sixth grade and you were in the high school, so that was like three years? Three three or four years, yeah. Yeah, so pretty I, it, darn probably close. Like, it was probably like my sophomore year. So I bet I had like a good run of like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, freshman. Like four years where I just felt like, man, I, like I keep, I keep improving, I'm learning new stuff, and I'm also le- like learning how to apply it and learning how to use it, things like that. And then... So what came along in the 10th grade that... Well, so I think now our experiences are going to be different. Everyone's experience is going to be different. I think one of the things that maybe kept me from having a plateau sooner than that is I was taking private lessons all the way through that. So maybe I hit a plateau before that, but it, it wasn't noticeable because if you have a teacher, especially then I, I was really young and my teacher was really good and much older and much more experienced, like they're, they're going to be able to throw things in front of you that are constantly going to be challenging and broadening your skills. So I, I think the reason that maybe it was noticeable that I had one my sophomore year is that my teacher moved away. And for about a year, I didn't take private lessons. Okay. So I like, I didn't, and I was also involved in a lot of different stuff, you know? So like I would, I would be taking private lessons, but I was also doing marching band. And then like, once I hit high school, I was doing jazz band. So like I was, I was learning stuff in private lessons, but then who was your teacher? Mr. Evans, Jeff Evans. He was a great, he was like the perfect first drum teacher. Where was that? Was that in Coshocton or was that in Columbus? Coshocton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he, cause he was the percussion instructor oh, okay. for all, for all those years up until he moved away. So he would teach privately, but he was also the percussion instructor for like marching band. And we even, there were a couple of years where we did like, I guess in junior high, we, we did like some percussion ensemble things and we would yep. do like solo and ensemble competition. That's the other thing. Like when you're that age, you, there's always something that you're like learning music for if you're going through That's school true. you know what i mean That's like yep. okay well eighth grade year and freshman year i'm in marching band and even sophomore year like so we've got a new show that we're learning you know so he's writing all these things and i've got to figure out what that is but then i'm also taking private lessons with him and preparing for solo and ensemble competition and then i'm like also playing drums at church or with yeah with other guys in high school like having a band right so there's always something that is like keeping he- the uh you had a lot of variety yeah and so i've i've got like all these different things that they're all drumming but they're not all the same type of situation right but they're influencing each other because you know oh i learned this cool snare drum sticking 
Well, now I can apply that to playing tenors in marching band or, oh man, I could like break up the sticking and make it a groove on the drum set or, or a fill or whatever, like like anything like that. But then he moved away and we had a guy who was kind of took over his percussion instructor and he was good, but it wasn't the same, but I didn't take private lessons from him. Mm. Uh, so I didn't start, I would say that, that period of a plateau where I kind of felt like, man, like I'm not any worse, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm playing anything new. Mm-hmm. I'm really feeling like my, I'm like my playing sounds stale. And, and this, it, and, and what I know is limited. Yeah. And like, you know, I would hear, hear something and be like, like on a record or whatever and be like, oh, I'm trying to figure that out, but it would take longer because mm-hmm. I didn't maybe have a teacher that I could bring it to and be like, what is this? Or, you know, what is happening? Or, or I didn't have other mm-hmm. things coming at me that would all of a sudden would open my eyes and be like, Oh, this thing that I just learned, that's pretty much what I've been hearing this whole oh. time. But you know what I mean? Like, right, it's funny right. how things will happen like that sometimes where you're, you're stuck on like trying to figure this thing out for months and months and months. And then one day you hear it, from a different perspective or, mm-hmm. or like you hear it unexpectedly to where you're not fixated on trying to figure out what it is. And all of a sudden it's like your brain receives the information differently. And then you go, Oh, that's just this. Yeah. And then you take like 20 minutes to work on it. And you're like, I've been working for three months to figure this out. And all of a sudden it just like clicks. Right. Right. So that was like my first major one, I think. And I think what broke it was I started studying then with a, college professor my junior year of high school who way way more advanced even than what i'd been doing and he was like bringing new stuff for me to learn and like new music to check like that was a big thing is i remember him just saying like you should check this record out you should check this record out and i like that kind of conceptual learning because it's not necessarily he wasn't like well here's this groove play this or learn this rudiment it was Uh like check out this drummer on this record and then let's talk about what you're hearing and, and what he's doing and like how, how are you receiving that information? That, that can be really benefit. I think one of the most beneficial things, like I'm definitely a proponent of having a good private teacher, especially when you start out. And I think it's good to have it at any point, especially if you feel stuck, like just going and studying with someone who maybe can, can shed light or have a different perspective on something is a big even deal. a but, slightly different playing style yeah man. but i think one of the best things is records can be so educational like and i don't just mean like oh yeah your favorite five records that you listen to all the time i mean like really broadening yourself even if it's like man i don't think i'm gonna like this style of music or this artist or whatever but man listen to it you never know right right like yeah i think that that was kind of my first one and then i've had several in my quote unquote professional life yeah but i can remember another thing that kind of really woke me up was i didn't know we talked about this in the first episode but i didn't really know who bruce hornsby was until my senior year of high school and the way i found out about him was do you remember on pbs they used to show austin city limits yes yes I yeah. just happened to be flipping through <laughs> and Austin city limits was just coming on and it was Bruce Hornsby and the noisemakers. And actually, I don't even know if he was calling his band, the noisemakers yet. I think he, it wasn't Bruce Hornsby in the range anymore. I think it was just Bruce Hornsby. And I just remember being intrigued by the drummer. <laughs> and then I ended up just thinking like, dude, this, I don't know who this Bruce Hornsby guy is, but it's the perfect blend of like Americana with like jazz intelligence, but like yeah. that kind of like folk music storytelling, but like exceptional right. musicianship as well. It was like this beautiful, perfect package few fusion of like all the things I really liked. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like so jazzy that it was like way too heady, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like, Billy Joel rock and roll. It was like this, there was like bluegrass influence and I I like fell in love. And I, that then I went and bought a bunch of his records and just really, 
that started to shape maybe kind of what I like in music and the kind of player I want to be. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Yep, for sure. And yeah. What I mean, what about you? Do you remember your first yes. plateau and so what, what happened? happened? Uh keeping it quick. Um same thing. A self self taught, right? For, for the most part. Um and uh taught by family. So the acceleration was quick. Uh then right away, um, before I even was able to hit a plateau. Uh, early on, and I would say this would probably be around age 10 to 11, uh, my dad got me into lessons. So I started seeing a uh, a guy by the name of Rick Troyer that lives in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Uh, I think uh, he still has a place up there, and he's a phenomenal teacher. Phenomenal. Um, And I wound up taking guitar lessons from him. And uh, here's what kept me from hitting anything too soon. He would teach me guitar lessons, but the majority of our time was spent talking about music theory. Mm. And he taught me like licks and stuff. Sure. Whatever. Um, but not, not like a lot. I mean, literally I can think of three things he taught <laughs> yeah. me on guitar, like lick wise, like, okay. What he taught me that was far more important than any of that was how to listen to what was being played mm. and understand it and then duplicate it. Like he taught me like, okay, so the root is this. So we know there's no, nothing down here to look at and there's nothing here to look at. So you now you have your space where where everything is supposed to be. So work there to figure out what is happening. So you're not spending your time looking down here and here. It's, it's useless because it doesn't right. work. Right. So <clears throat> that uh, was huge. And then understanding uh, some of the basic relationships. So my first thing that happened was after I was, um, I, I quit, I had to quit taking lessons um, at one point because I, we, we were out too much and around. Yeah for me to go to lessons and whatnot was um, not, not too maybe a year or two after I had to stop taking lessons. And the other thing was um, I was not in school at this point. Um, after the eighth grade, I dropped out. No, I didn't get, I didn't drop out. I, I started homeschooling <laughs> and uh, because we were traveling a lot and yeah, homeschoolers can be weird. Yep. But not musicians. Musicians are always weird. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, our thing was, is we weren't like the typical homeschooled kids because we were always you, you out playing clubs. Yeah. No, we were never yeah. home. And we we're always out in clubs and we were always having to socialize with adults or just other, or some peers, sometimes we, like, that's the one thing I noticed, like, interacting with peers when we did was usually at festivals and fairs, and they would talk to us, and we didn't really know how to talk to them because they were extremely immature, right? Right. And it was just weird because dealing with adults all the time, you have to, you have to speak their lingo. So, anyway, the first musical plateau was during that time after the lesson stopped, and... Uh, I just felt like I knew nothing else to play. I was out of things. My bag of tricks was empty, right? Every night I would play the same thing and I would, sometimes I would get creative and just do noodly stuff and do things that I never pulled off and sounded horrible, bad, but it was more experimental than anything. I was just like, I wonder what will happen if I do this, you know, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a young man's game (laughs) because that, I mean, I was doing that when I was 12. Okay. So I started playing professionally at nine. So three years later, I'm doing that kind of type of behavior. So what I can say is I have recently had to play music and I, I will emphasize had to play music with these other guys. And they 
are some of the most selfish musicians I've mm. ever played with. And this playing music with them hurts me to my core. Mm. Like I can't stand playing music with these guys. I've already turned down gigs because I know these guys were going to be there. I won't play music with them anymore. Interesting. And they are doing what I was doing at 12. But and this one of them is 42 years old. The other one, uh, he's younger, but he's 23. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, disgusting is, to me. It's frustrating. Yeah. It is. So here's what I'm going to say to anybody else out there listening that is, you know, if what you're about to do, you don't have 65% chance of pulling it off, don't play it. Not live. Yeah. Do I mean, a rehearsal. It, yeah, it's one thing if you're trying to find something in rehearsal. But if it's like at a, at a performance, no, you can't. Stick to what you know and what you can do yeah. accurately and competently. It is not a time for experiments. Right. Now, a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, people kind of accept it. Yeah, now. there's a little they, bit of leeway. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're... 18, 19, 20, and up. You've got to, there's a, there's a time where the professionalism has to kick in. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I kind of got off on a That's thing. all right. I mean, I think. Just because this was recent, so. Sure. <laughs> the wound is still fresh. It's pretty fresh, man. I uh, just, uh, it's despicable how these guys perform. I mean, I think that right there kind of sums up. That is what separates the people who like really do it for a living and have a career and the people who are like weekend warriors or, or not even that, mm -hmm. you know, like there's an amount of self-awareness that you have to develop when playing music. And if, yeah. if, if your growth is stunted and you only reach a certain level in your musical development, then you tend to play music like the guys you just described. Yep. Because you never, you don't ever understand the, the whole picture of like the point of playing music and, and that point that you're, or like the, what the job that your particular instrument, like the role that it plays. Right. You know, and if everyone's just up there getting their jollies off. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. Then that's, you know what it's, that's you know not what it, fun. I've been on gigs like that. You know what it's like? It's like watching a baseball game and everybody's got a bat. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, that'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I love baseball, but I don't want to see that. Nobody yeah. wants to watch that. Or no. basketball and everyone's... everybody's shooting from everywhere. They get the ball, they're shooting. They're not yeah. passing. They're not playing with the other teammates. They're right. shooting from half court. They're shooting from the other side of the court. Right. They're throw, you know, they're kicking the ball. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so this episode is pretty much in the can. So um, <laughs> to, 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 to summarize a couple things here. Yeah, because did we even... We really we, did, we definitely touched the on it. We yeah, we touched on it. But I think if you are at a point where you're having trouble breaking through the ceiling, the 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 quickest and easiest thing to do, and I agree with this, and I have done it, and it works. It doesn't work right away, and so have you. You've done the same thing. Find new music. Yep. And just start putting it on a playlist and just play it. Even if you don't even go and practice or, 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 or play to the music, it, that doesn't matter. No, it's the just, brain is amazing. Yeah. Just play it over. Cause what's going to happen is you're going to recognize patterns and you're going to hear different inflections of time. And then you're going to recognize that the next time you go out. And you're going to hear something while you blow by it the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to go, wow, that actually may really work really well back there. And then the next time you come around, you're going to stick it in there and try it. And you're going to go, oh, man, that felt pretty good. That sounded great. 
and then yeah. ta-da, you're off to the races. Yeah. You've now reinvigorated what may have been holding you back. Yeah. That's my two cents. Dude, no, I totally agree. I mean, that's what I was going to say is the way I get over those humps now is I try and find something outside of my comfort zone, whether it's just listening or if it's like playing, like, you know, I think I told you to uh, like, I don't know when it was, maybe even before Christmas, mm-hmm. I was just really feeling kind of like, oh, I play the same thing all the time and whatever. And I'm not a great, right. I'm not a great practicer because I can't like drums by themselves. I really hate. I like playing right. with people. And if I'm learning yep. music for someone, that's one thing, but to just sit down and like, oh, let's work out this independence thing or whatever, like. There was a point in my life where I loved doing that, but now it's like it. I don't get any joy out of that. Like it's really tough. Yeah. But I found my old double pedal, and I threw threw it on the kit and just started working on on that kind of thing. Which outside of Spider Wolf, I don't know when (laughs) I would apply it. And even then, like Spider Wolf isn't like a like a metal band. You know, might find my spots, but it's just. All of a sudden, it unlocks like, oh, this limb that is normally just keeping the hi hats closed. Yep, it it's serving a greater function, which then maybe that just gets your your brain to think about things in a different way. You yep. know, like that or one thing I I'm still really passionate about and I'm terrible at, but I try to get better is like playing brushes, like legit brushes in oh. like a jazz type setting. Like mm-hmm. great guys that are really great at brushes. Man, I could listen to that all day. And like mm-hmm. trying to get to that level of finesse and like refined, uh, I don't know, skill on uh, using that imp- implement, you know, that's like another thing of in my day to day music life, I don't know how much it applies, but that doesn't mean I should not work on it, especially if it's yeah. going to make the day to day things if it's all of a sudden I'm going to be like, Oh man, we do this song live with David and it's like normally like a loop or something, but wouldn't it be cool if I had like a brush in my left hand and I played it like, mm. the, you know, oh, like yeah. all yeah. of a sudden yeah. it's like, you know, and then David goes, well, that's really freaking cool. And that might lead to him writing a new song based on what you're doing or what, you know, like dude, it can steamroll really quick. But that. if you just come, if you show up to your gigs all the time with the same old things, you're, you're going to be tired of it. And then especially if you're, if you are visibly tired of what you play, other people are going to get tired of what you play. Absolutely. Next episode topic. I've already got it. Cause you hit something. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. Okay. We're going to talk about getting the sounds and playing the thing that this guy did on the record, the way he did it on the record. <laughs> well, We're going to talk <laughs> about that. Okay. I don't because have I have doing that. S- <laughs> because I have some very interesting insights. Okay. And I think once we talk, start talking about it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay. Because it's not exactly what it sounds like. All right. Well, All I'm, right. I'm down for that. That sounds good. Hey, you know what? I'm wondering if you know this. <laughs> I can I almost guarantee I don't. <laughs> hey, did you know that a whale's penis is called a dork? <laughs> <laughs> Good share. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening or watching the Good Share podcast. Hey, Ice, tell them what they can do. Well, if you're enjoying the show, please take a minute and like, subscribe, comment, rate, and review. And don't forget to ring that bell so you never miss an episode. That's right. And if you want to know more, go to the Good Share Podcast.com. Say hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. 